I will invite our boys and girls to come hang out with me if they'd like to do that today. I'm glad to be back with you today. I enjoyed some time away. Shannon and I were celebrating anniversaries 25 and 26. We didn't even get to go to dinner on our 25th anniversary, but we made up for it. Got to go to the beautiful state of Montana and Wyoming and Idaho. But I missed you guys, but y'all were in good hands with Joel Smith last week. So I am Joel 2.0 or 1.0. He's 2.0 now, I think I heard. But anyway, so let me say welcome to all of you. I'm so thankful that you're here today to worship the Lord with, with us at Grace Life, like we've seen so often over these weeks. I, I've seen people today that I haven't seen in a long time, and uh, just almost did somersaults out in the hallway earlier from getting to see some people out there. So welcome, everybody. I'm thankful that you're here to worship the Lord with us today. Uh, on your worship guide, just notice a few things there on the back side of that. Don't forget about Kids Camp coming up. I say Kids Camp. It's really Camp Shadow Lake which is sort of like our Vacation Bible School this year. So you see the dates on there. Get your kids registered. Invite their friends. we still got some space available. So uh, get some friends signed up for that. It's going to be a great time. Shrimp Fest is coming up as well. And Three Circles is off to a great start. We're learning how to actively, intentionally, naturally share the hope that we have in Jesus with other people. And so we kicked off with training last Wednesday night. Uh, that happens again tonight at 630. Uh, next week, I start to get to be the facilitator on Wednesday night and Sunday night. So I'm looking forward to that. Listen, if you're going, well, I would come to that, but I'm going to miss a week or two. It don't matter. Just come. It's better to come to one week of that uh, than none at all. So just come when you can. If you can come on Sunday night or Wednesday night, but join us tonight at 630. Hey, um, August, will you help me out? No? <laughs> would anybody like to help me out? Zane, come on, help me out, man. Here, I, I sent a question out this week uh, to the kids in the church, and I said, uh, why do you think people choose to go to the church that they go to? And I got a lot of answers. And so Zane is going to, I'm asking Zane to pull out, we're going to do four. I think I got time for four. So pull out one for me and hand it to me. Thank you, Zane. So why do people go to the church they go to? The Beck kids, that's Stella Jade, Stephen, and Bo. Stella Jade said a cross. Stephen said toys. And Bo said a big church. All right. <laughs> All right, let's draw out a second one here. Why do people choose to go to the church that they go to? And our kids said, this is uh, Ella Christie said, when you can see God there. Answer. Ruthie Boyd said, when people are living out the gospel. Great answer. And Miles said, when the people are nice. Yeah, who wants to go to church with people who aren't nice? And let's draw another one out. Let's do two more. We asked our kids, why do people choose to go to the church they go to? <coughs> Carson Ross said, uh, classes that teach and lots of kids. Makes sense? All right, one more. You sure that's the one you want? You sure that's the one you want to draw? You sure? <laughs> Colin Rogers said, people that are nice and honest and people that love God and understand why he died on the cross to save us from our sin. Great, great answers from our boys and girls. Yeah, you praise the Lord for that. There's, there's one in here that said uh, indoor pool. <laughs> I, I don't know if they meant like baptistry or like legit Olympic size indoor pool. I'm not really sure what direction that goes in. Well, let me pray for you boys and girls, okay? And then you can go back to your seats. God, thank you for our boys and girls. We're so grateful for them. Um, not sure why uh, they're here, if it's their choosing or somebody in their life that has made that choice. God, we're grateful that they are here, 
And God, it's by your providence, ultimately, by your sovereignty. It's no accident, God, that any of us are here. And so we pray that our lives today would um, become incredibly aware of your sovereignty and your love and your faithfulness over our lives and that you would work in our hearts as only you can today to transform us into more of the image of your son. We pray for our boys and girls that they'll come to know you as early as possible. And we pray for ourselves that we would not hand them a dead, cold religion, but God, that we would invite them into a living, breathing, vibrant relationship with the Lord Jesus. May they see that in us. And we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' good name we pray. Amen. All right, boys and girls, thank you for hanging out with Joel 1.0. The rest of you, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 2. We're in our series called Church on the Move, and today we are in Acts chapter 2. Recently, the Pew Research Center didn't ask boys and girls, why do you choose to go to the church you go to? The Pew Research Center asked adults, why do people, why do adults choose to go to the church that they go to, and from their study, they found that people noted seven key reasons for going to the church that they go to, and so we want to play this morning, Grace Live, we're going to put the top seven answers on the board. We thought about getting Steve Harvey to show up today. And I, I do like Steve Harvey, but I don't know that I'm comfortable enough with Steve to take the platform uh, here on Sunday morning. We were talking about the top reasons that people gave Pew Research about why they choose to attend the church that they attend. Number seven. You're supposed to read it out loud, too, right? That's how the, sh the game goes. Availability of volunteering opportunities. Number six. Having friends, family in the congregation. Number five. Education for kids, number four. Location, location, location. Number three, style of service. Number two, feeling welcomed by leaders. And the number one answer people give, quality of sermons. Uh-oh. <laughs> So, listen, that's good and helpful information to know that that's sort of what people are thinking. But I think the far more important question, more important than what are people looking for as they determine what church to go to, is this question. What is the kind of church that God's looking to go to? That's by far and away the more important question. And today in Acts chapter 2, we're going to see characteristics of the kind of church that God would go to. Characteristics of the kind of church that God would go to. Number one, it's got to have the right activities. And by the way, this is going to be at least a two-part sermon. I know I'm not going to be able to squeeze it all in, but we're going to talk about it's got to have the right activities, and it's got to have the right atmosphere, and it's got to have the right ambition. But we're only going to get as far as the right activities today. So let's talk about what are the right activities that God's looking for in a church, the kind of church that God would want to attend. The first one is this, the gospel would be preached there. The gospel would be preached there. In fact, it was the preaching of the gospel that was the very first thing that happened in the church. 
Before anything else happened, it was the gospel being preached. Just two weeks ago, it was on Pentecost Sunday on our calendar. But we were also two weeks ago in Acts chapter 2 looking at that famous Pentecost Sunday in Acts chapter 2. And we read how 120 believers were doing exactly what Jesus had told them to do. They were gathered together in the upper room, waiting there in Jerusalem for God to send his Holy Spirit. They were being obedient to Jesus in that. And on Pentecost Sunday, Jesus did what Jesus said he would do. He sent his Holy Spirit and boom, the Holy Spirit shows up on that Sunday and the church has begun and the church is born. And the noise of that collision of heaven and earth obviously drew a lot of people's attention. People from all over the city, they came running to see what the ruckus was, what the noise was, what the commotion was. You've got to remember that Jerusalem at that time was filled with people from all over the world. They had converged on Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. And when all of these people then are converging on the epicenter of all of this noise and, and, and this this uh, ruckus, this holy ruckus, you might say, they were blown away because they were hearing people proclaim the great works of God, but they were hearing it in the languages that were spoken from the places they had come. No matter where they had come from, they heard their languages being spoken. And obviously, all of this probably caused the crowd of 120 to begin to swell bigger and bigger as the crowd grew larger. Y'all remember in high school when a, fall, a fight broke out, right? And the crowd got bigger and bigger. Well, this is kind of the opposite of that. Something good is breaking out here and the crowd is just swelling and it kind of spills out into the streets, probably spills out around the temple complex where there's a lot of open space around that area and something big is going on. Think about it. The Holy Spirit has just come to live in the hearts of God's people. The church now in this moment is just second old just minutes old and the first thing that happens is Peter he stands up and he preaches the gospel it's the first thing it's the most important thing that's what God's looking for in a church is a church that'll preach the gospel and we don't have time today to dissect every word of Peter's sermon in fact Luke tells us we don't even have Peter's entire sermon Luke sort of gave us the cliff notes version of Peter's sermon and we don't even have time for me to give you the cliff notes version I'd like to dissect that sometime later on but let me read part of his sermon to you it is a gospel sermon you say what is a gospel sermon a gospel sermon is about the person of Jesus Christ it's about the work of Jesus Christ at the cross it's about the victory of Jesus Christ over the grave it's about the calling of Jesus Christ into the hearts of sinners to bring them to salvation to redemption Forgiveness of their sin. That's what a gospel message is. Verse 14 of Acts chapter 2 says, Then Peter stepped forward with the eleven other apostles, and he shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. People couldn't explain what was going on. They thought these people were sauced. And Peter goes, No, no, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. Much too early for that. I could see you questioning that at 9 p.m., but not at 9 a.m., right? Verse 22, people of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. Hey, this sermon's off to a good start, amen. 
God raised Jesus from the dead, verse 32. Let's skip down to there. Verse 32, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see in here today. Skip down to verse 36. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? You know what this is? This is conviction. This is sinners being drawn now to Jesus. That question, what should we do? And Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away. You remember we do the timeline and we get to Abraham. He promised him three things, lots of land, lots of children, and a blessing would come through him to the nations of the earth. This is Peter saying that promise has now happened. The land was given. The children were given. But now the blessing to the nations has come. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away. That's us. All who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time. See, some of you read the sermon in Acts 2. You go, that's a short sermon. Why doesn't our pastor preach short sermons? Verse 40 says, it wasn't a short sermon. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day. About 3,000 in all. Listen, the most important thing that can happen in a church is the preaching of the gospel. If the gospel is not being preached, if the gospel is not being proclaimed, that's not a church. If the gospel is not being preached and the gospel is not being proclaimed, that's not an assembly that God desires to unite himself with. He doesn't desire to attend a church that's not preaching the gospel. The church that God would go to preaches the gospel. But not only that, the church that God would go to, secondly, teaches the word of God. So 3,000 people get saved. Fantastic. Now what? Well, now you've got to teach them how to walk with Jesus. You've got to teach them how to have a relationship with Jesus. You've got to teach them about Jesus and who he is and what he's about. Verse 42 says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. See, none of us are born with this innate knowledge of who Jesus is and what he's done and what he's going to do. That has to be taught. That has to be shared with other people. That has to be learned. And that's why God has given us the Bible. That's why God has given us his word. His word is the revelation of himself. This is how we know him. This is how we come to know him and to walk with him and have a living, breathing relationship with him. By the way, you need to know this. Grace Life believes the Bible. Grace Life believes that the Bible is the word of God. That is the inspired word of God. It is from the lungs of God, the breath of God. It is the inerrant word of God. It is without error in it. It is infallible word of God. It will not fail. Everything that it says will happen, will happen. Everything that it says God will do, he will do. It is therefore also the, the, the final authority over our lives. We don't lean into opinions or to groupthink. We trust in his word and lean not even on our own understanding. That's what we believe about the word of God. Listen, if a church is teaching 
anything other than the Word of God, it's not a church. It's certainly not a church that God Himself would want to go to. The kind of church that God would go to preaches the gospel. The kind of church that God would go to teaches the Word of God. Thirdly, the kind of church that God would go to is a church where the people are participating and not just spectating. The people are participating and not just spectating. Look at verse 42 of Acts chapter 2. All, that's a big word, all the believers devoted. They devoted themselves. In other words, they were all in. They were committed. They had a deep sense of responsibility. Every one of them, all of them, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. That word fellowship in the Greek is the word koinonia, which has the idea of jointly participating. They all devoted, committed, fully engaged, are jointly now participating. These folks weren't rolling over on a drizzly Sunday morning going, well, are we going to church? They weren't slipping in the last minute and just watching the religious show happen on Sunday. That's not what these folks were doing. They weren't passive spectators. They were active participators. They were fully present, fully active, fully giving, fully serving, fully engaged in the fellowship of the saved. All in. Everybody had both hands on the rope pulling together. Everybody had a paddle rowing together. This whole 80-20 business rule that we've heard in my whole life that 20% of the people do 80% of the work in church. I don't know that that's true at Grace Life. I don't think that's true at Grace Life. But I'm telling you, that's not true of the church that God would go to. God's looking to go to a church where 100% of the people are serving God with 100% of what they have. They all devoted themselves They're jointly participating. That's what fellowship is. Fellowship is not eating together. We'll talk about that in a minute. That's a good thing, too. But they're jointly participating together. Some of you have fellowship at work. You can have fellowship at work. Fellowship just simply means that you're in this workplace with other coworkers, that you're pulling together, you're working together, you're striving together to accomplish the objectives of your organization. Some of you have experienced what cool thing is to have fellowship on an athletic team, a ball team, right? You're working together with your coaches and your teammates to accomplish the same purpose, the same goals, the same tasks. Some of you might be involved in civic groups or civic organizations, and you have fellowship within that. You're working toward the same goals and the same objectives. Well, here in the church, God's people, they fellowship together. They're pulling together. They're rowing together. They're working together, they're laboring together, they're serving together for the same objective, that is to know Jesus and to make Jesus known in all the earth. Everybody's a participator. Everybody. Nobody's a spectator. That's the kind of church that God himself would go to. They preach the gospel, teach the word of God. People participate and don't just spectate. Number four, meals would often be shared together. Now we're talking, Jeremiah. Meals are going to be shared together. Look at verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the sharing of meals. Yeah, this includes the Lord's Supper, which we're going to talk about in a moment. But this is not limited to the Lord's Supper. 
Listen, you don't have to think real hard or imagine real hard that these people who were devoted to each other, devoted to God together, they were praying together, they were meeting together, they were having Bible studies together, they were serving the Lord together. It's not hard to imagine that therefore they were probably having a lot of meals together. They were sitting down and breaking bread at each other's tables oftentimes together. There's something special, is it not, about having a meal with somebody? It just sort of brings you closer together, sort of unites you together. By the way, Chick-fil-A, can we get the doors opened up? Because we really need to sit down in your place and be breaking some holy chicken together again. Just a word if anybody can pull any strings. Uh, I really miss having some fellowship at Chick-fil-A. I'll move on. (laughs) You know, I hear Roger Bowes laughing over here. Roger gets this. Celebrate recovery, you know. Um, this last year, just kind of sideline Celebrate Recovery. But Celebrate Recovery understood the power of people having a meal together. That ministry would come together, and the first thing they would do is they would gather around tables in a circle, and they would eat a meal together. And, and that meal set the stage then for everything else that God would do in their lives on Tuesday nights through the ministry of Celebrate Recovery. And by the way, just pray for Celebrate Recovery. That's a ministry that we're looking forward to seeing come back in some shape, form, or fashion to our church and to our community. Listen, we see Jesus often in the Gospels sitting down to eat with people. Or we see Jesus making sure that people could sit down with each other and have enough to eat. I mean, he is, after all, the one who is planning a big feast called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. It's a big deal to him, and it ought to be a big deal to us. I think God would go to a church where folks are getting together often to share meals together. Hanging out with each other. Going to my house, to your house, or to Burger King. Are they open? Would you go if they were? I'm just kidding. I'll move on. I will move on. I think God would go to a church where folks are sharing meals together. The kind of church that God would go to preaches the gospel, teaches the word of God. People are participating, not just spectating. Meals are often shared. And number five, baptisms and the Lord's Supper are practiced Regularly, Look at verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper. See, this was their practice. They would come together, and they would take bread, and they would take wine, and they would remember, and they would celebrate what Jesus had done on the cross for them. It was only weeks in the rearview mirror And here we are, 2,000 years later, we're still doing the same thing. We get to come together on a regular basis. Maybe it should be more regular. It's more regular than it used to be. Maybe it should be more regular than it is now. I don't know, but I'm all in for whatever we decide about that. Because I don't think you can overdo coming together and breaking the bread and taking the juice together as the people of God and looking back and celebrating what Jesus Christ has accomplished at the cross. But the Lord's Supper is not only celebrating what's happened in the past, but it's also celebrating what's coming in the future. And what's coming in the future is Jesus himself. That's why we wrap up every Lord's Supper with where Paul says, do this until he comes. So that was a big part of what the first church did. It's a big part of what 
our church does. That's a big part of the kind of church that God would be looking for when he is determining, if that were a thing he would do, what church he would attend. That's one ordinance of the church. The other is baptism. We already saw that happen in Acts 2. Peter stood up, he preached the gospel, 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus. You say, how did 3,000 people get baptized? They're in Jerusalem, for crying out loud. How did that happen? Well, around the temple complex, there were probably as many as 500 mikvahs. A mikvah was just kind of a dugout thing where it contained water, sort of like a baptistry, matter of fact. And, and, And these were used for ceremonial cleansing before they would go into the temple and before they would worship the Lord, they would walk through, sort of dip themselves, sort of splash the water, whatever they might have done to ceremonially, ceremonially cleanse themselves before they go to the temple complex. You've got 500 tubs of water around and 3,000 people just got saved. That's probably where they're going to get baptized. You go to Israel with me next year, you'll get to see some of those where probably some of the very first baptisms of the Christian church happened on that day of Pentecost. An amazing thing. That's the kind of church God would go to. It's the church that preaches the gospel. It's the church that teaches the word of God. It's the church where people participate, all of them, and they don't just spectate. It's a church where meals are shared often. It's a church where baptism and the Lord's Supper are practiced regularly. Number six, it's a church where there's a strong devotion to prayer. Strong devotion to prayer. Verse 42, look at it again. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. In fact, I, I would say that's probably going to be in the top list of things that God's looking for in the kind of church he'd go to. It's prayer. I'm thankful for the small group of men who are meeting together every Sunday at Grace Life. We're meeting together at 8 o'clock, and we're praying together. That's the way... Our day started today, and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for the people at Grace Life who are devoted to praying. You're devoted to meeting with the Lord in your home, in your prayer closet. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the many of you that I'll never know your devotion to prayer, but God himself does. And that's all that matters, and I'm thankful for that. And I praise the Lord for that. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 21, verse 12, he sees that he enters the temple... And he began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he said to them, the scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer. But you've turned it into a den of thieves. Listen, God delights when his people pray. God delights when his people assemble together for that purpose, for that reason to pray. He's looking for a praying church. That's the kind of church that he would go to. It preaches the gospel, teaches the word. People participate. They don't just spectate. Meals are shared often. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are practiced regularly, and there's a strong devotion to prayer. Number seven, resources are freely shared among the people. Resources are freely shared among the people. Verse 44 says that all the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Here's why. They saw one another as family. And they recognized that anything that God has put into my hands is not for my ultimate ownership, but it's for my stewardship. And so if you're my brother, if you're my sister, and there's something that I have in my hand that God has given me, 
and you have need of that, then it's awfully easy for me to release that into your life. Because I don't look at that as something that has my name on it until Jesus comes. It's something that Jesus has entrusted to me in this moment, perhaps for this purpose and for this reason. By the way, let me just be clear. This is not communism. This is love. There was no mandate that the people must turn over everything they had to some communist state of existence. No, no, no. That is not honoring to God. That is not pleasing to God. This is all driven purely by love. And by the way, there was a tremendous need for that in this moment. 3,000 people from all over the world. They're there in Jerusalem, and they're not leaving. And you know why they're not leaving? Because the only church on the face of the planet in that moment is right there in Jerusalem. They got a new family. They have a faith family now. They're, they're learning who Jesus is. They're being taught the word of God. They're loving one another. They're serving one another. They don't want to leave now. They don't want to go home yet. Maybe there's talk amongst themselves about going and starting churches in other places, but they're not at a place yet where they're ready to do that. So guess what? You've got thousands of people who need places to stay. And they need water to wash in. And they need food to eat. It was a time of tremendous physical need for those people. And they came together and everybody made it work. How's that happening at Grace Life today? What, what does that look like here today? How are we freely sharing our resources with each other? Well, to be honest, right now, in our church family, there's not an enormous sense of need for physical things or material things on the grand scale here at Grace Life. There, there are times and moments and opportunities that I watch you guys rise to the occasion. And, and we've seen those moments when something like a catastrophic tornado blows through a community and lives and livelihoods and homes are gone and devastated. What if that happened today? What if that was today that happened? Grace Life, can I ask you, are our hearts in a position before God today? Are our hands pointed toward heaven today so that if something catastrophic happened today, there would be no thought of, no hesitation toward, this needs to go to these people. I have a brother in need. I have a sister in need. Are our hearts postured rightly right now for that moment? Are we prepared at that moment? And maybe I should say when that moment arises. And kind of like James Spann says, you know what? It may not be an F5 tornado to you, but to the person whose home it destroyed, it was to them. And so it's not always about what's happened on the big catastrophic scale, but somebody in your Sunday school class, their world just fell apart. They just lost their job. Or a spouse just abandoned the family. Whatever it is that may have happened, that's an F5 tornado in that home, right? For those people, for that family... Where's our hearts? Are we ready to step into that and to serve God? God's looking for a church that preaches the gospel. He's looking for a church that teaches the word of God for people who are participating, not just spectating, where meals are shared often, where baptism and the Lord's Supper are practiced regularly, where there's a strong devotion to prayer, where resources are freely shared. Number eight, where praise and worship of God is constant. It's constant. 
Look at verse 46. They worshiped together at the temple each day. Skip down to verse 47. All the while. Doing what? Praising God. All the while praising God. Absolutely. Listen, this first church is a God-centered church. They're worshiping Him. They're praising Him. It was a daily part of their life. And by the way, it should be for us too. That doesn't mean that every day we're going to open up the door and Pastor Mike's going to stand up here and lead music so that you can worship. No. Worship happens wherever we go. Whatever we're doing. Whoever we're with. Are we a people that are worshiping and praising God like that, Grace Life? Or is there just an on-off switch as you pull onto the campus on Sunday? Worship on. Worship off. No. Is it continual? Is it 24-7? Is it our pattern of living? Is it our lifestyle? You know, we're learning how to share the gospel these days better at Grace Life and focused on how to have these best moments every week and best weeks ever and so forth. And so Friday our office is closed and so if, if I don't have to be anywhere else during school, my wife and the kids are gone to school. And so on Friday morning I got a little favorite place I go to eat in Tuscaloosa near my house, a little greasy spoon, great breakfast. All the waitresses are older and they have smoker voices and they call you doll and honey and sweetie. And if you find that place, you know that you have found some good food. And all God's people said, oh, amen. And so I'm hanging out in my, my place a couple of Fridays ago. And it was the, the, the best week ever we were having at Grace Life. And so I'm just, okay, Lord, show me somebody here that I can talk to them about you. And so I waited until I got out into the parking lot. I just didn't really feel there was a moment or a time or place that opened up inside. Walked outside. I'm like, okay, Lord, let's do this today. What's, what's going to happen here? And I saw two men standing out in the parking lot talking to each other. All right, here we go. So I walked up and I said, hey, guys, good morning. They said, hey, good morning. I said, hey, can we talk about Jesus for a minute? I really didn't know how else to start the conversation. <laughs> I just thought we're just going to dive in and see where this goes. And so I just dove in. Hey, can we talk about Jesus for a minute? And they just stood up tall, and they looked at each other, and they smiled, and they almost started laughing, and they said, we already are. <laughs> I said, no kidding. And so I got to stand out there in the parking lot and have fellowship with these two men. Come to find out, they are deacons at the same church. On a Friday morning, they decided, we want to have a meal together. And so they met to talk about Jesus. That's worship. They didn't need a music director. They didn't need a preacher on a platform. That's worship. I don't remember the name of the church they told me they go to, but I bet you God goes to that church. I just bet he does. The kind of church that God's looking for is a church that preaches the gospel, teaches the word, People participate. They don't just spectate. They're sharing meals together often. Baptism and the Lord's Supper happen regularly. 
There's a strong devotion to prayer. Resources are shared freely. And praise and worship of God is constant. Those are the right activities that God's looking for in a church. I'm out of time today. But next week, Lord willing, we'll talk about what's the right atmosphere that God's looking for. What is the right ambition in that church that God's looking for? Let me ask you, though, Grace Life. If you're a guest, I'm glad you're here, and I don't know what you're looking for in a church. I hope you're looking for a church. I think one of the kids said it. God's there. I hope that's what you're looking for. Let me ask my Grace Life family, though, is that us? I mean, let's just be real here for a moment. Are, are we that kind of church? Is Grace Life the kind of church that God wants to go to? He loves to be present. He loves to observe. Which of the, I think, eight things that we talked about today would you say, out of those eight, I think maybe God would have Grace Life hone this one a little bit more. Give a little more prayer toward this one, a little more attention toward this one. I want you to just think about that. Maybe that's a good conversation later to have with your small group or in your Sunday school class or whatever it may be. And then maybe make this a little more personal to you. Which, which of those maybe is God today saying to you, this needs to be happening in your life? This is not a part of your life. This is not a part of your routine. And if the church was, if everybody at church was just like you, it wouldn't be a church that God would want to go to. Right? Can, can you just ask yourself that question? If everybody at Grace Life was a member, like I'm a member at Grace Life, would it be the kind of church God would want to go to? And so where there's some place in my life or your life and our lives where there's some incongruency between where we are and where that church in Acts chapter 2 is, would we just be willing today to allow the Holy Spirit to change that in us? Would we be willing today to allow the Holy Spirit to accomplish His purposes and His plans in us today? Would we be willing to change up the pattern of church that we do the, the, the way we go about it, maybe we're kind of in a rut, always around the same group, same people doing the same stuff. Would we be willing today to say, Lord, would you just do something fresh and new in my life and in terms of my relationship to the rest of my church family today? Because what happened in the first century church, I want to be a part of that in the 21st century. And I can't change my pastor, and he can't change me, and I can't change the deacons, and they can't change me, and I can't change my Sunday school teacher, and they can't change me, and I can't change the person sitting on this row with me, and they can't change me, but God, you can change me. And would you change me? And would you make my life look more like what it is you're looking for in your people? God, would you start this work in me? Let's pray. God, we are grateful that, one, we are your church because Jesus died. He gave his life. 
that the sin barrier might be torn down between us and you and that we might be saved. And now, God, as your people, redeemed people, the most, in question, most important question before us in this moment is not, what do we need to do so more people will want to come to this church? That is not the question. The question before us is, God, what do we need to do so that we are a people and so that this is a place that you delight to abide in, to dwell in. That we are a people and this is a place that you would entrust new, freshly born again, baby believers into this fellowship because they will find here what they need to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus. It's your presence, God, that we want more than anything. We would agree with Moses, God, if you don't go with us, we don't want to go. Change our hearts today, Jesus. Make our priorities what your priorities are, our passion what your passion is. Ultimately, Jesus, clearly your greatest priority and your passion was to the glory of the Father. So that may that be our greatest passion and our greatest pursuit today is that God would be glorified in our lives, in our families, and in this church family. We ask it in Jesus' name. I want to invite you to stand and let's worship the Lord together. Let's respond to his word together today. Let's invite God to be here with us. We want you here, Lord. We desire for you to be here. You're everything to us and more.